Good morning. Well, good morning. I'm going to uh, do a quick announcement, which I don't usually do, and this will be recorded uh, so that people at home can hear it as well. Uh, you received a bulletin when you came in today, and uh, all the events for the month are there for the month of June, but there's one that I want to highlight in particular, and that is there's a flyer inside your bulletin that mentions a summer picnic, and obviously we're hoping to get uh, much better weather than this Memorial Day weekend. Let's pray about that. But in the event that the weather is not cooperating, we'll bump to the next week. But let's hope that it doesn't come to that. I do want to mention the summer picnic. It's going to be right over here at Brookdale Park in Essex County in Bloomfield. All the information you need is here. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, especially for parents and families, everyone's invited, but we have a, a ton of events uh, set up for the kids. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, sack races, the parachute's coming out, we're going to have a water balloon toss. We're, we're going to make it as special as we can for the little ones. So I say that because, listen, it's been a tough year. It's been tough to get out and do things. And uh, we just figured a summer picnic, bring your lunch, come on out, uh, 11 o'clock uh, next Saturday, June 5th. We gave you these so you'll remember. And then, of course, the information's on the website. And I actually think we have a graphic, too. We can put that up. The reason I mention that is because you can send that information from the web to people you'd like to invite. You don't have to tell us you're coming. You just need to come out. We'll have some drinks and everything uh, so that you guys can enjoy the time together. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. But again, want to extend that invitation to you and especially to our families with young children. We are going to spend probably about hour, hour and a half having all these crazy contests that I know they'll really, really enjoy. Well, again, good morning. And you can open up in your Bibles to the book of Acts with me. And uh, what I want to do first is say that uh, we have been really, really enjoying our studies in the book of Acts because so much of what we're studying right now is applicable and helpful to the times in which we live, especially as Christians in this increasingly darker world. Now, as we look at the scripture for today, you'll see uh, that one of the things that the world and the devil and the enemies of Christianity will certainly try to do is to shut you up. I think one of the things that we've seen over this last year, but not just this last year, certainly over many years now, is a determined effort on the part of the enemies of the gospel to just silence us to cancel us because they don't want to hear the message of the gospel. Now, that, it's one thing to say, I don't want to hear it. It's another thing to, to, to try to hinder the preaching of the gospel so that others can hear it. Listen, if you want to really deal with God's severe discipline and rebuke, try and keep people from sharing the gospel. Try and stop the gospel. It won't happen, amen? Hasn't happened for 2,000 years. It's not going to happen this year either. And you'll see that God will protect and stand up for and, and put his protection around those who stand up for truth, those that stand up for the gospel truth, and those that preach the salvation that is available in Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen. But I have a question, because so much of the world now is trying to intimidate us into not sharing the gospel. And as we pray, I want to ask this question. Just what would it take to silence you? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we desire to be filled with your spirit today and empowered in a way that we can share the truth that we have, the truth that we have received as from your word, from your heart, and to our lives and to our hearts. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that he came and died on a cross for our sins, lived the perfect life, to save all of us, all of us are sinners. That he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day to bring us newness of life. That he ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession on our behalf. And that he's promised, and we believe he will, come again to judge the living and the dead. 
The truth of the gospel is that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That truth must be preached or souls will end up in hell. And so, Lord, we never want to be silenced and we want you to strengthen us that we would open our mouths and open our hearts to the world and never allow ourselves to be canceled or pushed away or pushed out or deplatformed in any way from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what would it take to silence you? I'd like to think that all of us would answer in this way, that we would say, well, I can't be silenced. I won't be silenced. I would like to think that that would be our reaction. Sadly, I think that the truth is that many Christians today, when threatened with being fired or disliked, many have toned it down a bit. Many have taken a different approach. Many have allowed themselves to compromise the message or just not preach it as loudly or as boldly as we're called to do so. I know many of you, and I I know that this whole turmoil in our year over this last year hasn't caused you to be quiet. But the world is coming down to this. Those who know Jesus Christ and those that reject Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, then you preach Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ. But it is all about all of human history. It's his story. History is all about how we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So far from being silenced, far from being quiet about it, we have to be willing to accept this truth. Nothing is going to keep us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Pastor Tim, what if they make it illegal? I've never been to Iran, but it's illegal there. And yet, everything I read tells me that there's a huge movement in the underground church in Iran like there never was before. China certainly has issues with freedom of expression and freedom of religion. And they have many underground churches. See, the thing is, you and I, we don't have the luxury of listening to the world when God has told us to do otherwise. So let's set this right up front. Am I a rebel? No. I'm a Christian. And willing to give my life and suffer any type of sacrifice or persecution that comes my way for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not for being a wise guy, but for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I look at the scripture today, and we are in Acts chapter 5, and we are in verse 17... We see, we're going to learn here, that the apostles were arrested by the temple authorities, by these individuals who hated Jesus Christ and actually had him put to death, for doing what? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 17 and 18. We read, Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Let's just stop there for a moment. Why were they put in prison? Well, it says they were jealous, but why were they put in prison? Because God was working through their lives as they preached the gospel. You know, the high priest and all of his associates among the Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy. Jealousy or envy is a a nasty, horrible thing when you let it take root in your heart. Think about what happened with Cain and Abel. Think about what's happened throughout history as people have allowed themselves to be jealous or to be envious of others. It leads to murder. It leads to persecution, to martyrdom. It leads to awful things because people allow themselves to be jealous or envious of others. In this case, the apostles were doing what the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were supposed to be doing, sharing the truth of Scripture, preaching the gospel, leading people to God. But instead, they were busy building their little empires and merchandising people and getting rich. So these apostles come along, led by Jesus Christ, and they begin to do things that are unquestionably powerful. 
In fact, the church continued to gather right there at the temple. We saw this two weeks ago under the powerful leadership of the apostles. The apostles are out there boldly preaching the gospel in the temple courts, testifying to the resurrection with great power. They're filled with the spirit and empowered to perform miraculous signs and wonders. How do you argue with that? The church was meeting together in this area known as Solomon's Colonnade, and the church continued to add more and more Jews to their number. There were no Gentiles in the church at this time. More and more Jews to their number. So they're jealous. They're losing their power. They're losing their influence. And so now it's time for the powers that want to hold on to their power to step in and try to silence the truth in an attempt to control people's lives, to prevent them from hearing the truth. Sound familiar? It's been happening for 2,000 years. When you look at systems like socialism and communism, you have to understand this. Brothers and sisters, I'm not getting political. The truth is those systems were designed by the devil to keep people from finding Jesus Christ. They take away the personal freedoms. They take away the freedom of religion and the freedom to worship and the freedom to preach. Why do they do that? They take away the freedom of expression. Why do they do that? So that you'll never find the truth. Because if you have the truth, Jesus tells us, the truth will set you free. The enemies of freedom don't want you to know the truth about anything, especially the gospel. So truth is the first casualty of any cultural war. So today in our culture, we see a lot of something that you might not call truth being promoted as truth and truth being silenced. That's, that's important to us as Americans. That's important to us in our culture. But there's nothing more important than preaching the truth of the gospel. But you see, as truth is silence, the truth of the gospel gets thrown in there as well. So my great concern as a Christian is that somehow this culture we live in is going to take the truth of the gospel with the truth about everything else and simply rewrite it, revise the history, take the, take the history of the church and the truth of the gospel and change it and the media along with the opposing parties of freedom, they're going to stand up and what they're going to do is they're going to try to silence the gospel. But you see, all of this truth that's going along with it is important, but not nearly as important as the truth of Jesus Christ. So am I concerned? Yes, I am concerned. It's not about politics. I'm concerned that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached no matter what. And we should be as well. Now, as they're doing this, as they're preaching the gospel, as they're adding more and more to their number, the Jews, they start bringing their sick and their demon-possessed to Jerusalem, and they're healed by the apostles. They lay them on the street. We saw this two weeks ago on beds and mats. They're so looking for God to heal that they believe that even if Peter's shadow passes over them, they'll be healed. These people are looking for God, brothers and sisters. The people out there right now, are looking for God. They don't even know it half the time. They're looking for God. But the devil and the evil, corrupt systems of this world are going to try to keep them from hearing the truth. That's where we come in, filled with the Spirit, preaching the truth. Souls are at stake. Lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And so we come up with very creative ways to reach people, whether it's sports camp ministry or outreach or Sunday school or children's ministry or street ministry. But at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. Just looking for an opportunity to do what the apostles were doing, boldly preaching the truth of the gospel. You know, these crowds come in. They bring the sick, the tormented from towns and villages surrounding Jerusalem. And what does it tell us in the, in the previous section? That the apostles healed all of them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So God wants to do a work in our midst. And some of that may be healing and the casting out of demons. Maybe that's what God wants to do. But I can tell you one thing for sure he wants to do. Reach this culture with the truth of Jesus Christ. Reach the world with the truth of Jesus Christ. Now we learned in verse 17 that the high priest's family, they were the leaders of the corrupt priesthood in Jerusalem. These temple priests and Sadducees, they're the political establishment in Jerusalem. Never look to politicians to protect your freedom. By the way, that's why we have a Second Amendment. Because in our country, the founders of our nation recognize one basic truth. And that is that power corrupts. And absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. 
The more power individuals have, the more they will try to take away your freedom. We have the rights in this country to preach the gospel unhindered. Thank God. Amen? Let's use that right that God has given us through our Constitution, but that even if it was taken away, we would still do, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. These corrupt politicians, as if you need to say both words, it's redundant. These corrupt politicians were the men directly responsible for handing Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. And remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection or in angels or spirits. They're materialists. It's all about the here and now for them. And we learn that the high priest, what a wicked man. Whether you're talking about Caiaphas or Annas, you know, these were wicked men. They took the apostles into custody. Why? In order to question them the next day. Why? Because they're hoping to stop any more Jews from joining the 5,000 plus believers in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem at this time. This thing is, by their estimation, completely out of control. How did this happen? How did this happen in just a short time that the world, their world is turned upside down and people are coming to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior of the Jews? And soon, of course, the, all of mankind will hear that message. How did this happen? Because the Holy Spirit of God came down upon the 120 believers, and those Spirit-filled believers did what? Preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit brought 5,000 into the church. Who was doing the work? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So they're hoping to stop any more Jews from joining them. But they also fear that this movement would incite a response from Rome, which would threaten their political and material and financial interests. You see, that's the real issue. It's going to cost them financially if things get out of hand. You ever want to know what's going on? Follow the money. Follow the money. Let, let, let me give you a little rule of life. Anytime it benefits someone else for you to do something, think twice. Anytime someone says this is a good idea and they make money on it, it probably isn't. I don't think I need to tell a bunch of people from New Jersey this truth. We were raised being skeptical and cynical. I got a deal for you basically means no way. I had a guy just yesterday, I'm getting in my car. And it's raining and I'm putting stuff in the car. And a guy comes to me, and, and I see him walking down the street, and, and he has a white pickup truck. So, so, you know, he's probably a nice guy. He's a contractor. He's looking to do people's driveways. And, and this happens. People, like, sort of cold call. They go to different houses. And that's great if you're looking for a contractor. You might even want to hire that guy. I mean, he's ambitious. He's motivated and probably do a good job. But, you know, my, my, my immediate response was to put my shield up. What does he want? What does he want? I was ready to say I'm not interested. He could have been handing out million-dollar checks. I wasn't interested. I'm a skeptical person by nature. We are in this part of the country. So let me just tell you, when people benefit from you doing something, buying something, or submitting to something, you might just want to stop and at least pray and say, Lord, is this good for me? I'm amazed at how many people don't do that. Well, here's what we know. These people were threatened. These wicked people were threatened. These corrupt politicians were threatened because God was on the move. So, these guys end up in jail. And you might be thinking, well, they shouldn't have trusted God. You know what happens when you trust God? You might lose your job. You, you know what happens when you trust God? You may end up in jail, like that pastor in Canada who was dragged off to jail for holding services and not following the rules that are, seem to be arbitrarily decided by politicians with no knowledge whatsoever. So, you may end up in jail. You, you may end up worse. You may end up beat up like so many people have been beat up over the centuries for being a Christian or even put to death. So what's it going to take to silence you? Here's what, it, what didn't happen. To these men, they, they're put in prison doesn't look like it's going to go well. Same guys that put Jesus to death. You can pretty much predict the outcome. But if the Spirit is involved, 
you better trust God. Look what happens. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Love it. Love it. If God has to send an angel, he'll do it. He's not going to let anything stop this message from being preached. They had a mission. These corrupt politicians decide, you know what, we're going to throw these guys in jail. That'll silence them. But the angel comes, and an angel is a, a powerful being. Could have killed everybody in Jerusalem if he wanted to. They just let them out. Now go back to doing what you were doing before they threw you in jail. I love it. The angel supernaturally opens the doors in the night, in the middle of the night. And he opens the doors of the jail, releases them, and, and he does it without alerting any of the guards. How did he do that? Supernatural. God does what God does. Pretty cool. So the angel commands them to return to the very same temple courts and continue to do what got them in trouble with these authorities, that is to boldly preach the gospel. So the apostles, they return to the temple courts and they begin to teach the people. Look at verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, that is by the angel, and began to teach the people. (laughs) You see what's great about that is that when you're trusting God, you will not be silenced. Can I hear an amen? When you're trusting God, you cannot be silenced. That's what these apostles were doing. They're filled with the Spirit. They're not going to be told to shut up. They're not going to be told they can't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though these authorities technically had the authority to do so. So we live in a country where we have the right to preach the gospel. Many others of our brothers and sisters do not. In fact, I would say most do not. We do. And yet many of us have been silenced. Now, if the day comes, and I hope I never live to see it, where it is illegal to preach the gospel, as it is in many nations throughout the world, I'm fine with that if I have to go to jail, but I'll be here till they drag me out. I'm going to be here doing what God has called me to do. How about you? Will you be silenced? Listen, and it's not just in church that we preach the gospel. In fact, most of the places that we preach the gospel are outside of church. Don't let anyone silence you. Well, let's get back to our account here. In verses 21, latter part through, uh, let's read through verse 25. It says, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. So they're ready to try to intimidate these guys. The full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, and it wasn't because of bail reform. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. (laughs) But when we opened them, we found no one inside. See, the guards were there the whole time. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard, that's his job, by the way, to keep everybody where they're supposed to be. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. And then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Can you imagine their faces? Now, how in the world did this happen? You know, you'll find that when you do what God has told you to do, amazing things begin to happen. But you have to do what God has told you to do in order to see them. Some people have said, well, why don't we see more miracles today? I would suggest we don't see more miracles because we don't see as many people doing the things that God has told them to do. I believe that God can do miracles. I believe he does miracles. I believe he wants to do mighty works of power and show miraculous signs and wonders. But I also believe... That while he can, he can't if you won't. That is through you. 
You and I, we have to submit to God and do the things that he's called us to do. If we expect God to move powerfully in and through our lives, he's not going to force you. Evil prospers when good men do nothing. Good men and women, they refuse to do what God has called them to do. And of course, God doesn't work the way he could or would if we opened our hearts and submitted our lives to him. So what do we do? We open our hearts and submit our lives to him and refuse to be silenced. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did, and God met them there. Yeah, it's a a beautiful scene. They called together the the whole Congress, if you will. The Sanhedrin was the Congress of that day. There were 70 men that ruled over the people of Israel from Jerusalem. They send to the jail for the apostles, and the officers of the high priest report, they're gone. They mysteriously vanished in the middle of the night. We know what happened, but they didn't. And that captain of the temple guard and the chief priests are bewildered that the apostles are missing. They have no idea what happened. They were, they, they were alerted that the apostles were, in fact, in the temple courts where they had been arrested, teaching the people just like they were before they were arrested. What a beautiful scene. So the Sanhedrin does something. They, they decide to rearrest them. Look at verse 26. Actually, it's a little different this time because in verses 26 through 28, we learn that at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles, and they did not use force. Did you notice that? They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Things have changed a little bit now. Now they can't forcibly take them under arrest. I'm I'm guessing they asked them nicely to accompany them into the Sanhedrin, and of course, now that's an opportunity to preach the gospel. So you ever get called before Congress, do like Mike the Pillow Guy. Everybody knocked Mike the Pillow Guy. But I'll tell you what, that's one guy that wouldn't be silenced. He makes pillows and bedding. But when he was at the White House, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say what you want. Say what you want. No wonder he sleeps through the night. So I know this. I know that you and I may be given opportunities that others may not have, and we need to take those opportunities to preach the gospel. Well, back to our account here. The Sanhedrin brings the apostles before them. Why are they bringing them there? Now, well, they can't really arrest them. They ask them nicely. They come along. These guys are going to address the, the, the Congress of their day, the Sanhedrin, and And you know what's amazing to me, as I look at this and I think, what would I do in that situation? How exciting it must have been to know that an angel let you out, told you to go preach the gospel. Now you're being called in to address the leaders, the corrupt leaders of your nation. What opportunity this must have been for them. And I'm sure they were excited about it. In fact, you can tell by their response that they were pretty stoked that this happened. But you know what's pretty cool about this as we read is that the, the captain of the temple guard, they're going to bring them in to silence them. They're going to try to intimidate them. They know they really can't do much because the people are really, they really respect the movement and they respect these apostles. And they were so afraid that they might anger the people that a riot would take place and that the temple guards and the Sanhedrin would be stoned. Uh, you know, not that kind of stoned. But anyway, that they would be put to death. And the thing about that is that, you know, I never am in favor of violence. I'm never in favor. On the right or the left, I'm not in favor of violence. But you know something? We have seen so much violence on, unfortunately, for the most part, the left and one particular time on the right. But we we, we see this as if that's going to change anything. These men did not need to be taken by force. They willingly went to address the Sanhedrin to preach the gospel. Violence doesn't get the job done. You know, we hold up Dr. Martin Luther King as the wonderful example of someone who was able to bring amazing change to our culture and to our nation. And yet, if you've ever read anything the man wrote or listened to anything he said, the one absolute is that the movement was nonviolent. You think violence is going to get it done? It's not going to get it done. These men knew that. That's why they didn't say, everybody stone these guys and storm the temple and have a riot. No, no, they just went with them. So, so the temple guards don't want there to be a riot. But listen, 
The apostles don't either. And so there's a peaceful moment. They walked in there, as it says. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Uh, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear, in verse 27, before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. (laughs) They were guilty of this man's blood. In fact, they said it. (laughs) They said, may his blood be upon us and our children. That's what they said when they crucified Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 25. They took responsibility. Now now they want to shrug responsibility. They want to uh, say that they weren't responsible. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Well, again, the, t- the capital, uh, uh, capital huh, I guess that's on my mind. The captain of the temple guard and his officers brought the apostles before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they were afraid to use force, but the people supported the apostles. They brought them before the entire Sanhedrin. The, the high priest is not going to start to ask some questions. What's the first question? Why didn't you listen? Why didn't you do what we told you? He accuses the apostles of defying their command not to teach in the name of Jesus. Now listen, they had commanded Peter and John not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus back in chapter 4. They didn't listen. They told them, you judge for yourself whether it's right for us to listen to the words of God or to listen to you. Then they let them go. They tried to intimidate them, but they let them go. Here we are again. Peter and John had boldly refused to submit to the Sanhedrin or to be silenced by them. Because God had commanded them to preach the gospel and testify to the resurrection. And I love that it says they filled Jerusalem with their teaching rather than submit to the Sanhedrin. What if they just went home and said, well, the CDC said we can't. The Sanhedrin said we're not allowed. It's it's not a good thing for us to listen to the words of God. What if they had taken that approach? We know where that leads. I love these men. They're heroes. Not because of what they did, but because of what they wouldn't do. And that is allow themselves to be silenced. Amen? And they filled the city with the truth. Well, the apostles had taught the people the truth, that the Sanhedrin had Jesus killed. They were not afraid to say they were the ones that did it. They had already accepted responsibility, as I've said, for the death of Jesus. They did have Jesus crucified, but God raised him from the dead. And that's the message of the gospel. So they would say, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. So they were getting tired of that first part of that message. Now imagine you're a Sadducee. You don't believe people can be raised from the dead. And you're being told, you put him to death, and God raised him from the dead. So you can imagine why they didn't like them very much. So how do Peter and the other apostles respond? Verses 29 through 32. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. And without or running the risk of starting a revolution, let's say that together. We must obey God rather than men. Amen? That's it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You must obey God rather than men. You see, I don't really think that there's ever an exception to that rule. We listen to God rather than men. So if, if men tell us that there's 1,400 genders, we say, no, God says it's I'm one man, one woman. If the world tells us that marriage can be something other than one man and one woman for life, then we tell them, no, the Bible says this. If the world, if men tell us that, you know, we evolved from apes, Australopithecus or something of that nature, we just say, no, God created us in his own image. Male and female, he created them. You see, we have to be willing to stand up for the word of God and tell the truth. Don't allow yourself to be silenced. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, they'll think I'm a Neanderthal. A Neanderthal which we affectionately call a human being. Apparently, I don't know. When I was a kid, a Neanderthal was some ape-like creature. Now, apparently, we're all Neanderthals. I mean, literally, I read a paper a couple of years ago. They were talking about, oh, we all have Neanderthal genes. I'm like, they keep rewriting the truth as the truth 
as the lie becomes exposed, as the truth becomes uh, real, and, to, and they begin to recognize the truth, uh, you've got to change the lie a little bit. You know, it, it's amazing to me. If you're not willing to stand up and preach the truth, oh, God knows what our children are going to be told and what they'll be led to believe. I mean, I just, uh, one parent just showed me that Highlights Magazine, uh, which, by the way, you, you probably want to get rid of if you get it, um, had this little thing hidden on this one page. You know, there's all these truths put on the page. And, and one of the little boxes, and I just saw this Friday night, one of the little boxes said, if I live in a home with two mommies, and I just stopped there, I wouldn't even read anything more. Highlights Magazine. Yeah. So we have to be willing to stand up for what is true. That is God's truth. The truth of the gospel and the word of God. They were, and they said it that way, We must obey God rather than men. So, don't allow anyone to tell you something is true if it's contrary to God's word. Amen? Very simple. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be nasty. You can be nice. You can smile and tell them the truth, which is what we're called to do, to tell the truth in love. So let's continue. He goes on to say, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now that statement is laced with all kinds of truth and even some insinuation because they were not obeying God and they did not receive the Holy Spirit. So when we read this, what Peter said, it's not intentionally antagonistic. It's just true. It's just plain old true. He's not trying to spare anybody's feelings. He's preaching the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. They didn't hesitate to respond to the accusation of the Sanhedrin that they should have been quiet. And so they boldly refused to submit to them or be silenced by them. And they explained to them that their authority did not supersede God's commands. God had commanded them to preach the gospel, to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's commanded us likewise. So what will silence you? You know, they boldly proclaimed and preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin, to the very people that would try to kill them eventually and to put Jesus to death, had imprisoned them unjustly. They declared a few things. These are the truths they declared. That God the Father had raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? And they reminded them that they did have Jesus crucified. No matter how they wanted to change, you know, the the news feed, that fake news wasn't going to stick. The truth is they did have Jesus crucified. They explained that God had exalted Jesus to his own right hand as the Prince of Heaven. They proclaimed that Jesus is the Savior of Israel through repentance and forgiveness of sins. Praise God. That's the gospel. They also boldly testified that they were witnesses. I've shared this before. In Greek, the word for witness is martyr, because those that gave their lives witness to the truth, they called them martyrs. They were witnesses of Christ's suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and they declared that the Holy Spirit had testified to the truth of the gospel through their ministry, and indeed he had. Or have you forgotten the miraculous signs and wonders? How do you argue with that? They couldn't. They could only silence or try to silence and intimidate them. They couldn't argue with the truth because it was the truth. So why would you allow that to be silenced? They were filled with the Spirit, empowered to do these things, miraculous signs and wonders. The Lord had given them the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they had obeyed Him and, 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 and these others had disobeyed Him. And they disobeyed their authority and obeyed God. And that's the point that Peter's making. He's given the Holy Spirit to who? To those who obey him, not to those that obey you, he might say to the Sanhedrin. So, that's the truth. They declare that God will give the Holy Spirit to those that obey. Send angels if he needs to, but preach the truth. 
Now, the Sanhedrin, they, they get together. This is pretty comical, actually. But it's interesting. It, it's, it's quite interesting when you see how they handle this. And I, and I often wonder, where did they get this information? Uh, there were Pharisees and Sadducees that later became Christians. So more than likely, that was the source of this information. But we, we read in verse 33, we'll take the whole section, 33 through 40. When they heard this, okay, these men telling them, we're not going to listen to you. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Nice, nice, nice. Have you noticed how people react when they don't want to hear what you have to say? Why is it that people get so violently angry at us for preaching the truth? Any truth, but especially the truth of the gospel. I would suggest that the devil has something to do with that. But people give their hearts over to wickedness and evil, and they don't want to hear the truth. I am not the kind of person that believes that everyone who's not a Christian is demon-possessed. But I also believe that the devil takes captive those whom he will, because the scripture tells me that's true. That he's a roaring lion and he goes about looking to devour those. He can. So those that reject Christ have opened up their hearts to all kinds of wacky things and certainly opened up their hearts to evil and wickedness and to the devil. So don't be surprised when they act like a demon when you tell them they need Christ. Don't be surprised. But here's what we learn. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were different than Sadducees. Sadducees were corrupt politicians. Pharisees were legalists, very pious religious men that believed that they could draw close to God by obeying God meticulously. There were good Pharisees. By that, I mean some that even believed in Jesus like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. There were others. And there were others that were pretty much just as political as the Sadducees. But they were different, different political parties. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thayer disappeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. Amen. You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Ooh, I like that. Gives me chills. Isn't that awesome? Now, we have no idea whether Gamaliel really favored the apostles, or necessarily believed the gospel message. He's just a, a wise man who understands the truth. If God is in something, there's nothing you're going to do is going to stop it. But if God isn't in it, you don't need to stop it. It'll fizzle out. Pretty wise advice, right? So the Sanhedrin begins to discuss among themselves how they should respond. They all want to put these men to death. Gamaliel stands up. He orders the Sanhedrin to remove the apostles, which is incredibly wise. Get these guys out of the room. You know, tempers will calm down. And he reasons with them. He wants to address them in private. Now, Gamaliel is a historical figure. You know, we can prove that. And he was an influential Pharisee and a respected teacher of the law. In fact, you may or may not know that in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul tells us that Gamaliel was his teacher. The Apostle Paul was thoroughly trained in the law under Gamaliel. Yeah, that's where Paul got his training. Gamaliel cautioned the, cautioned the Sanhedrin to be extremely careful in how they dealt with the apostles, encouraging them to think things all the way through before declaring their judgment. That is such good counsel for any situation. Think it all the way through. That's something we don't do when we're making a decision. Think it all the way through. Now, he cites two specific examples of revolutionary movements during that time that had recently emerged. One is Theodos. We don't know anything about this. We just know what Gamaliel tells us, that he was killed and he had 400 followers 
And after he was killed, the movement dispersed and it came to nothing. But then we read about Judas the Galilean, and we do know something about this. This is documented historically. That he was killed, his band of followers dispersed. It all came to nothing as well. It wasn't of God. He had rebelled at the time of the census taken by the governor Quirinius in 6 AD. This is documented historically. So we know that that actually happened. Of course, the purpose of a census is to increase taxation on the people. That's the purpose of a census, at least at this time especially. And Judas declared, history tells us, that God was the king of Israel and to him alone was tribute due. So he refused to pay taxes. That was why they revolted. It It was really more about a political movement than it was a religious movement. He felt that all other taxation was wrong and to pay it was blasphemy. So he attempted to revolt against Rome. He got killed and the movement failed and his misguided revolution came to nothing. So Gamaliel's just saying, look, we, we, we see what happens when God isn't in something, leave it alone. Of course, God was in and is in this movement. He implies here by saying the leaders were killed and the people scattered that since Jesus was killed, his followers are soon going to disperse as well. But he didn't know or forgot one fundamental truth. Yes, Jesus was killed, but he rose again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the difference. That our Savior was put to death, but that he rose again on the third day. That's the difference. So he advises them to leave the apostles alone. Let them go. He knew that if their purpose and their activity was their own idea, they would fail like the others. But you see, our movement is not a work of the flesh. It is not a human movement. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, working through those who are saved by Jesus Christ and restored in relationship to God the Father. Because God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you accept that truth and give your heart to Jesus Christ, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you're saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God Father, God the Father raised him from the dead, you're saved. To as many as received him, to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. And if you're a part of this movement, this is no human movement. This is a work of God. And it will never fail. The gates of hell will never be able to prevent it or stop it. They'll never prevail against us. So what would silence you? As we close out here, Gamaliel's advice is good advice. It really is. Under these circumstances, he gave them excellent advice. He advised them not to take any action. But to let the movement come to nothing as well, if that, in fact, would happen. But I don't think that advice is good for you if you don't know Jesus. I think you should take action. I hope you will. I pray you will. He knew that their purpose, if it was truly of God, if their activity was truly of God, they would fail to stop. And there's nothing you can do. You can't, you can't stop a work of God. You can't fight against God. They could ultimately find themselves fighting against the creator of the universe. That would be foolish. Now, by the way, just a little historical note, the Sanhedrin later rejected Gamaliel's counsel when they killed Stephen. We'll see that in Acts chapter 6. And sadly, Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul the Apostle, he refused to follow his teacher's counsel as well until he was apprehended by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Well, Gamaliel persuaded them. Look at verse 40. His speech persuaded them, a very persuasive man. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Do you know what flogged is? Flogged is what happened to Jesus before they put him on the cross. This wasn't a smack on the wrist. They didn't just issue a fine, give him an ankle bracelet. They flogged them. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that part that is gruesome to watch, perhaps even more brutal, in the actual crucifixion, if you watch the movie, if you're familiar with what flogging is, you know that they tear these men to shreds. The only thing I'm going to say is that when the Jews flogged someone, it wasn't nearly as bad as when the Romans did it. So perhaps it wasn't as bad. But I don't think anyone wants to be whipped in that way. Maybe not with the cat of nine tails. Maybe it was done with just a flail, but it doesn't matter. No one wants to take a number of lashes on their back, right? Was it 39? 
There were three lashes, and they, 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 they beat you over and over again. You end up scarred, bloody, beaten. Again, maybe not to the same degree as Jesus, but that's what flogging was. And we, were, we, we read and learn that they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and, and, and let them go like that was going to work. Brothers and sisters, Gamaliel persuaded them not to put them to death, but it didn't mean that they didn't suffer. They punished the apostles for defiance by having them flogged and then let them go. They suffered. And they once again commanded them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, where are we? We're we're back at square one. They're still told not to do it. They're still going to do it. And now they've been beaten and, and flogged for doing it. What would it take to silence you? Well, it didn't silence them. Look at verses 41 through 42 as we close. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. You have to stop and think about that for a minute. Rejoicing? Rejoicing. Rejoicing? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Were they silenced? No, I don't think so. They responded to persecution by rejoicing in the Lord. What have you been doing? Complaining? Griping? Going on social media? How are you responding to the persecution that we as Christians are are experiencing? You should be rejoicing. You should be. They had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. This caused them to rejoice for the opportunity to witness to the truth of the gospel. And the Lord fills us with joy when we're called to suffer disgrace. I don't ask for it, but if it comes my way, my response should be joy. They once again boldly refused to submit to the Sanhedrin or be silenced by them. They preached the gospel every day, both in the temple courts and in people's homes, and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would never be silenced, for we've been given the message of life eternal In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We now ask that you would strengthen us as they prayed. Fill us with your Spirit. Make us bold to preach the truth in love to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.